Welcome to the Centuries of Sound radio podcast, the mid-monthly show where we discuss and give some context to these records. My lord and gentlemen, Centuries of Sound. If you enjoy these programs, please consider supporting the show on Patreon. For $5 or local equivalent per month, you can get full downloads of mixes and these radio podcasts a year earlier. Centuries of Sound is an independent podcast without any advertising, and it's only with the support of patrons that the show can survive. Find out more at patreon.com slash centuries of sound. Centuries of Sound on Cambridge 105 Radio. I am the Edison phonograph, created by the great wizard of the new world to delight those who would have melody or be amused. I can sing you tender songs of love. I can give you merry tales and joyous laughter. I can transport you to the realms of music. I can call you to join in the rhythmic dance. I can lull the babe to sweet repose or waken in the aged heart soft memories of youthful days. No matter what may be your mood, I am always ready to entertain you. Hello and welcome to Centuries of Sound, the show where we travel back in time by delving into the recordings of a specific year of recorded sound. My name is James, my co-host Sean is unfortunately ill this week and sends his apologies. This time we're covering the years 1898 and 1899, our final double year episode before we mark the start of the 20th century. So as Sean is not here today, I'll tell you about the historical background of the year 1898. We previously talked about the Jacques scandal with uh, the army officer Dreyfus in France being accused of being a traitor against the state of France. In 1898, Emile Zola's Jacques letter was published on the front page of the Paris daily newspaper L'Aurore, and it accused the government of wrongfully imprisoning Alfred Dreyfus and of anti-Semitism. In China, the notorious Empress Dowager Cixi engineers a coup d'etat and has the Guangxu Emperor arrested. This is one of the many events leading to the eventual downfall of the Qing dynasty in China. The Italian anarchist Luigi Luceni assassinates Empress Elizabeth of Austria in Geneva. And the British government makes a 99-year rent of Hong Kong from China. Of course, they thought 99 years was an unimaginable length of time, but of course we saw what happened when we had to give it back in 1997. And most significantly, perhaps, we have the Spanish-American War. Before this time, America considered itself to be independent from the rest of the world and refused to get involved in international matters, saying it was not an imperial state, but a democratic state. It was in this year that we saw the beginning of America's imperial ambitions. A famous figure to arise out of this, of course, was Theodore Roosevelt. Roosevelt was at this time uh, the Assistant Secretary of the Navy. Roosevelt resigned from his post and formed the 1st U.S. Volunteer Cavalry Regiment. His wife and many of his friends begged Roosevelt to remain in his post in Washington, but Roosevelt was determined to see battle. When the newspapers reported the formation of this new regiment, Roosevelt was flooded with applications from all over the country. Referred to the press as the Rough Riders, the regiment was one of many temporary units active only for the duration of the war. The Ten-Week War was fought in both the Caribbean and in the Pacific. The American forces were decimated by Spanish forces, Cuban insurgent attacks and especially yellow fever, but managed to win in Cuba. But America didn't stop there, they went to the Philippines as well, which was at that point a Spanish possession. So let's hear a few recordings that have some relationship to this war. We have Buffalo Bill talking about the Cuban question, and we have the Columbia Orchestra presenting the charge of Roosevelt's Rough Riders. Oh, 
man who is not willing to hear about the hideous crimes in Cuba, to read the war speeches of single senators, and look upon the war headlines of the yellow journals every day in the year for the remainder of his natural life, has any right to oppose his aggression in Cuba, unless he submits an attempted crime.
You're listening to Centuries of Sound on Cambridge 105 Radio. Right now we're playing a selection of recordings from 1898. Just now we had a few different recordings mixed together. We had uh, Buffalo Bill's Sentiment on the Cuban Question. We had Columbia Orchestra with Charge of Roosevelt's Rough Riders. We had uh, Cal Stewart with Uncle Josh Comments on the Spanish Question. We had the Edison Concert Band's Medley of War Songs. And we had Chief Trumpeter Cassie of Roosevelt's Rough Riders doing a few bugle calls. If you've listened to Centuries of Sound before, you may know that we've been covering the music of the 1890s and there's not a lot of variation in it. There's lots of uh, dull military music with the occasional classical recording to lighten the mood a little. Things are starting to change, though, in 1898. We are starting to get something a bit different. So let's have a quick survey of American entertainment as it stood in 1898. The dominant cultural form of uh, 19th century America is, of course, uh, the minstrel show. Uh, Naturally, these are remembered today for being deeply offensive towards black people. As it was the dominant form of entertainment at the time, we of course have several cylinders with cut-down versions of minstrel shows on them. This one is by the Edison Minstrels and it's called Minstrel Potpourri. Minstrel Potpourri, Edison Record. Gentlemen, be seated. Grand opening chorus, Old Log Cabin in the Dell by entire company. What were minstrel shows then? Well, a product of first a slave-owning society and then a society nostalgic for the days of slavery, minstrel shows featured white performers performing as hideous black-faced caricatures who were by turns stupid, lazy, superstitious, happy-go-lucky, violent. None of this is remotely excusable nowadays. 
and it would be tempting to consign it all to a dark cupboard if it weren't for the fact that it also contains most of the popular music that lives on till this day. Uh, Dixie, still a very popular song in the south of the USA, Turkey in the Straw, uh, Camp Town Races, Old Folks at Home, you might know it as uh, Swanee River, uh, My Old Kentucky Home. These are all songs that began their lives in minstrel shows. So as much as I'd like to, separating baby and bathwater at this stage is impossible. These songs would continue as standards right through to the jazz age. Let's hear a couple of ragged versions of Old Folks at Home, which you might know as Swanee River. The first by Frank S. Maziotta and the second by August P. Stengler.
The minstrel show, of course, didn't go away at this point. It stuck around in one way or another into the 1920s. There was still blackface performers at that stage. Al Jolson included, of course. And there were minstrel shows going on right up until the 1960s in America. And even longer, further afield, I was born in the late 1970s, very late 1970s. And when I was born, there was still a minstrel show on British TV, which some of our older listeners may remember. As far as the mainstream goes, though, by the end of the 19th century, minstrelry was mainly morphing into vaudeville. Instead of this highly structured routine, vaudeville had a looser collection of acts. Singers and comedians, of course, but also dancers, trained animals, magicians, strongmen, female and male impersonators, acrobats, one-act plays, athletes, even celebrity appearances. Singers in blackface were still common, and the musical repertoire has so much in the way of overlap that it may be considered to be the same thing in some senses. These days we tend to think of the term vaudeville as referring primarily to the comedy element of the show, but the musical side was, if anything, more of a draw. Here's a vaudeville comedian, Harry Spencer, performing Sideshow Shouter. Listeners familiar with this show will have heard plenty of marching band music, whether they like it or not. But now we have some developments on that theme, good kind of developments. The musical innovation of Cakewalk, or we can call it Two-Step, was a layer of syncopation slotted into this marching band music. It's kind of an extra level of rhythm playing off and around the main beat. The bringing of both syncopation, and quite likely African, polyrhythms to the forefront of the music was a fundamental change in focus from the often slow, melody-driven music that dominated the Victorian age. However, both Cakewalk and Two-Step were still primarily considered to be dances rather than musical genres. From the early 1890s, references start to appear to the ragging of music, that's adding syncopation to existing songs in order to make them more suitable for dances. Towards the end of the decade, sheet music began to appear with ragtime in the title. Initially, this seems to have referred only to that syncopated rhythm, but from 1898 onwards, the name seems to have stuck, only after which a host of other things started to be drawn into the definition, including the kind of smears added by soloists. Arthur Pryor's trombone solos in Sousa's band are a great example of this. This is Love Thoughts Waltz by Sousa's band with an amazing trombone solo from Arthur Pryor. (音楽) ¶¶ 
was Love Thoughts Waltz by Seuss's band with Arthur Pryor on trombone. So we're talking about ragtime in the year 1898. Vessel Osman's A Bunch of Rags is perhaps the first explicitly ragtime recording available, and naturally it's an excuse for a virtuoso soloist to show off his skills. Scott Joplin was just getting started around this point, but even when his songs start getting recorded in a few years, they'll still be performed on the banjo or by full bands. The idea of ragtime as a style of piano music is largely an invention of the mid-20th century. So let's hear it then. This is the first ever ragtime recording. It's Vessel Osman with A Bunch of Rags. Thank you. 
This is Centuries of Sound on Cambridge 105 Radio, and you've just heard A Bunch of Rags by Vassell Osman, generally credited as the first ragtime recording in history. Vassell Osman was the king of the banjo and one of the biggest names of the Edwardian era. He was born in Hudson, New York in 1868, and he spent the whole of his adult life as a professional musician, recording for 25 years and touring America and further afield for more than 30 Vessel Osman was the first musician I felt I'd discovered in my research, even if that sounds like a bit of an arrogant framing. In his lifetime, Vess achieved international fame and recorded plenty of good music, much of it of great historical importance. But the ragtime banjo now seems like it should be an obscure footnote. It isn't. This is a big step forward for recorded music. So what else is going on in popular music? Well, in 1898, the main term to refer to popular vocal songs is, I'm sorry to say, coon songs. A natural progression from the minstrel shows, these coon songs are the inevitable result of an uncomprehending music business trying to get in on some of the magic coming out of black America. This idiotic mistranslation largely followed the formula of self-consciously edgy minstrelry, that's a knife-wielding, womanising Zip Coon instead of the docile, subservient Jim Crow. These are the stereotypes that they traded in. Replacing that with an upbeat, syncopated backing. And uh, this kind of music was performed by wealthy white performers from the northeast of the USA, New England, New York, New Jersey, doing the most outrageous versions of Deep South Black speech they could muster. So far, it sounds terrible, and to a certain extent it is. But the picture is a little more complicated. Take, for example, the most famous coon song of all, Ernest Hogan's All Coons Look Alike to Me. The most rotten title possible, surely. And yet Hogan was a trailblazing black performer, the first African-American to produce and star in a Broadway show. And the song itself was an unstoppable hit, which did much to bring ragtime into public consciousness. The title was, ironically enough, changed in the name of decency from All Pimps Look Alike to Me which these days would be far more acceptable. This is uh, The Darkies' Dream. We have two versions of this, both of which are largely, thankfully, instrumental. First by the Columbia Orchestra and the second by Ruby Brooks.
You're listening to Centuries of Sound on Cambridge 105 Radio. The idea behind Centuries of Sound is to provide an audio history of sound. The inception of this idea was back in 2011, when I decided to pick a song for every year using some websites like Rate Your Music and uh, Archive.org. Initially, I was just going to do this for the 20th century, but the first song I found that I was interested in was pre-20th century. It was from 1899, to be precise. It's uh, Hello, My Baby. It'll be familiar to lots of people as sung by Michigan and Jay Frog in the 1955 cartoon One Froggy Evening. Let's hear him singing. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, my ragtime gal. Send me a kiss by wire. Baby, my heart's on fire. If you refuse me, honey, you lose me. Then you'll be left alone. Oh, baby, telephone and tell me I'm your own. So naturally, this isn't the version that I found. The one I found was performed by somebody called Arthur Collins, who, according to Wikipedia, was the biggest-selling recording artist of the 1900s. Who was this man? What sort of music was this? What was this entire era of music long before the start of the Jazz Age? And why had I heard nothing about it in three decades of listening to music? Here's a quote about Arthur Collins from Jim Walsh in the December 1942 issue of a magazine called Hobbies. He said, There probably has never been a sweeter, more naturally musical baritone voice than his. Arthur Collins managed invariably to get into the wax the impression of a warm, lovable personality. The unctuous sound of his chuckles in dialect work is unfailingly charming. His Negro heroes usually were in hard luck but they bore up bravely and saw the funny side of their own misfortunes. Or, to put it another way, in the words of Mr Marshall Mathers a century later... At the time, Arthur Collins was the king of the coon songs, then later king of the ragtime singers, when people finally started feeling embarrassed about using appalling racial epithets as genre names. Already I'm sure why anyone listening can hear why people treat him as an embarrassment and nothing else, but let's add to that another couple of things. His main singing voice was, yes, a racist impression. He used it to propagate lazy and offensive stereotypes by singing songs written by white people to cash in on a boom in black music. And the black musicians he was replacing couldn't get anywhere near a recording studio or a recording contract. It's no wonder that this once huge star has yet to see a single release on LP or CD. But, as so often in these days, you have to work with what you have. Collins is far from the worst of his kind. 
unlike with, say, Billy Golden, his impression of a black man never seems to be deliberately condescending or mocking, and the passion he puts into his performances always comes across as a genuine enjoyment of the form. OK, then, let's hear the song which accidentally started this whole project. This is Arthur Collins' version of Hello, My Baby. Collins with Hello My Baby there, a standard enough standard of its time, not particularly notable, but catchy enough to be remembered half a century later, unlike some other similar songs which have racist names or lyrics, so we shouldn't speak of them. The thing is though, Hello My Baby isn't really not that different. There may not be racist terminology thrown around in the title, or even in the lyrics in an obvious way, but it fits very much into the popular mode of the time. That is, white people performing humorous caricatures of black people. In this case, the joke is, wait for it, this is a good one, people who use African-American vernacular English using a telephone. Now, this might not be the source of hilarity to anyone born after 1900 or so, 
but you can sort of imagine the logic. People with low social status using the latest technology. It still stinks, of course, but take a look at almost any music from this era and you'll find something similar. Even the song Alexander's Ragtime Band, which you may be aware of, is guilty of the same condescension. Alexander being a highfalutin name for a ragtime performer who wouldn't be from such a distinguished stock. The reason for continually dwelling on this stuff is that it's so prevalent, so embedded in every nook and cranny of popular culture at the time, that avoiding it entirely would involve cutting almost everything, and it would be an insult to those who suffered it if we were to just sweep it all under the carpet. Arthur Collins seems to have been a decent enough person, but he was absolutely complicit in the racist culture he benefited from. However, remembering that doesn't mean dismissing his work entirely. And Hello My Baby is still a great tune, a song about technology recorded on technology using the latest technological jargon, that's the word hello, which came into popular use because of the telephone. Before that, people would say good day, good morning, good evening. It's a positively futuristic and the 20th century is just around the corner. So we seem to have drifted across to the year 1899 so let's hear something from this year. Another recording by the very prolific Vessel Osman. This is a little bit of everything. So what's going on in the world in 1899? 
We have the first international peace conference with the signing of the first Hague Convention, which of course did not prevent the First or Second World War. The Philippine-American War gets into full force and the Second Boer War begins, which is the famous Boer War. And uh, Alfred Dreyfus is finally pardoned in France. Let's start off our listen to 1899 with a piece by a trombone player I know nothing about at all and don't seem to be able to find anything on the internet either. This is Arbuclinian Poker by Mr. A.L. Sweet. Let's hear a couple of recordings which are related to the American War in the Philippines, starting with the Columbia Drum, Fife and Bugle Corps with The Girl I Left Behind Me and going on to the Peerless Orchestra with Admiral Dewey's arrival in New York. Ready? 
Okay, that was the Peerless Orchestra with Admiral Dewey's arrival in New York. More of the military music, which for a variety of reasons dominated American culture at the time. George Dewey was Admiral of the Navy, the only person in US history to have attained that particular rank. He's best known for his victory at the Battle of Manila Bay during the Spanish-American War. Immediately after the beginning of the war, Dewey led an attack on Manila Bay, sinking the entire Spanish Pacific fleet, while suffering only minor casualties. After the battle, his fleet assisted in the capture of Manila. Dewey's victory in Manila Bay was widely lauded in the USA, and his promotion to Admiral of the Navy happened in 1903. The Philippine-American War was a terrible business. It resulted in the deaths of at least 200,000 Filipino civilians, and some estimates put it up to a million people. So a grim business all round there. Let's move on to something a bit more fun for your Saturday evening. This is Dan W. Quinn with Glorious Beer. I won't sing of sherbet and water, for sherbet with beer will not rhyme. The working man can't afford champagne, it's a bit more than fine since the time. So I'll sing you a song of a goggle, a goggle that I love so dear. I allude to that grand institution, that beautiful tonic called beer, 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 glorious beer. Sing yourselves right up to here. Drink a good eve of it, make a good meal of it, stick to your old-fashioned beer. Now don't be afraid of it, drink till you're made of it, now all together a cheer. Up with a sail of it, down with a pail of it, glorious, glorious beer. It's the daddy of all lubricators, the best thing there is for your neck. Can be used as a gargle or lotion by persons of every sex. Now we know who the goddess of wine was, but was there a goddess of beer? If so, let us sing to her help voice and wish that we just had her here. Here, here, beer, beer, glorious beer. Fill yourselves right up to here. Drink a good eat of it, make a good meal of it, stick to your old-fashioned beer. Now don't be afraid of it, drink till you're made of it, now all together a cheer. Up with a seal of it, down with a pail of it, glorious, glorious beer, all together now. Beer, beer, glorious beer, fill yourselves right up to here. Drink a good eat of it, make a good meal of it, stick to your old-fashioned beer. Now don't be afraid of it, drink till you're made of it, now all together a cheer. Up with a sail of it, down with a pain of it, glorious, glorious beer. That was Glorious Beer, recorded by Dan W. Quinn in the year 1899. You've been listening to Centuries of Sound on Cambridge 105 Radio. I've been James and I will continue to be James. If you've enjoyed this show and want to find out more, you can go to our website at centuriesofsound.com where we will have this show and a number of other shows, including our monthly mixes, which have at this point got through to the year 1911. And on there you can find links to our Twitter, our Instagram and our Facebook pages where you can like us and follow us. 
If you want to get in touch directly, our email address is centuriesofsoundmail at gmail.com. Let's finish off today with a couple of recordings of a song called Whistling Rufus, one by Vessel Osman, again, and the second by the Peerless Orchestra. Thank you for joining us today on Cambridge 105 Radio. Banjo solo, Whistling Rufus, played by Mr. Vessel Osman for Columbia Phonograph Company of New York and London.
If you enjoy these programs, please consider supporting the show on Patreon. For $5 or local equivalent per month, you can get full downloads of mixes and these radio podcasts a year earlier. Centuries of Sound is an independent podcast without any advertising, and it's only with the support of patrons that the show can survive. Find out more at patreon.com slash centuriesofsound.